Hello everyone, welcome to the Melting Pot podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is as a result of my hunger for optimizing business performance, scaling up organizations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high-performing teams, along with a few other obsessions along the way. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top-performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a high-quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at dominicmonkhouse.com. Hello, today I've had the absolute pleasure of talking to Brad Smart. I don't know, I picked up a copy of Top Grading in the early 2000s at Rackspace and here we are, I don't know, best part of 20 years later and I'm talking to a guy who's who wrote the book Top Grading, which has had a significant impact on my perception of how to hire, mainly around A players and that the definition, I've used Brad's definition of A player most of my working life now, which is what you're after is you're after the top 10% of available talent at a given salary for a given job in a given location. Why would you not want the best people to do the job? So this isn't about paying people more or giving people a different job or putting your jobs in a different location. All of those things are also possible talent acquisition strategies. But this is how do you find, if you're going to interview 100 people, how do you find the top 10%? And that's the methodology that Brad has given to us really uh, from top grading. So we talk about how it started and how serendipitously he got into this business and wrote the book and how a candidate gave him a little bit of the secret sauce. We talk through some of the things that he thinks everybody could do. You know, he said the top hundred HR people in the world, he met them a couple of years ago and they were, they were successful at hiring A players about 20% of the time. And he talks a little bit about his track record with GE when Jack Welch was CEO, how GE took their A player rating or the percentage of A players, they got it up to 90%. And Brad feels that is very much part of GE's success. So we talk about that. We talk about some things that Brad, some resources that Brad has for free that anybody could use to improve their hiring rate of A players from 20 to 25% closer to 90 or 100%. Fantastic. And we also talk about how to, uh, he talked to some people who'd been at uh, CV Builder or Career Builder, and they were in the sort of CV fact-checking team. And they their view was that 40 to 50% of CVs contain big lies, not just not just lies, but big lies. And so Brad's got some, some things that you can do right at the beginning so that those candidates who've got big lies in their CV drop out of your process and you don't have to waste time on them, even on a screen. Great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you do too. I'm Brad Smart, founder and CEO of Top Grading Incorporated. And I run a company that uh, does professional services work. We interview candidates for hire or promotion to senior positions. And we train managers has trained tens of thousands of managers in how to do those interviews and some other top grading steps. And we're a software company. You have to be these days, or if your processes are adopted by companies with even a hundred or more people, they probably have an applicant tracking system. And so our platform has to uh, integrate with those. So that's what we do. But we also have a small mid-sized applicant tracking system ourselves 
So that's what we do, Dominic. And Brad, how long have you been helping companies fix their recruitment challenge? Well, see, I, I think I want to answer that question, but I don't want to tell you that I just had my 75th birthday. So it's like 45 years. Wow. And when did, why did it start? Oh, well, it started in uh, ways I'm a little embarrassed to talk about. People should be sharper than I was, but I was a you know, freshman at Miami of Ohio, found Business 101, Pretty boring, but I knew I wanted to go into business. Psych 101 was interesting. Uh, found a local management psychologist, and he said, I've uh, got to go on and get a you know, PhD. Uh, I did that, but was very disappointed because of thousands, hundreds of thousands of um, research studies on talent, including you know, thousands on hiring. There didn't seem to be any focus on high performers. So I linked up to a, man- a group of management psychologists. They got summer jobs. And I was working in uh, human resources departments and doing some other things. And it's just, it's occurring to me all day, every day, it's really the top 10 or 15% of people really made everything work. Everybody else might be okay or good, but I said, this, what I think I like to focus on is helping, helping companies hire A players, top 10% of talent. Why hire the, why hire the rest? Okay. So I joined the firm that had gotten me jobs. I'm not mentioning who they are, and I don't have that very many places because I ran into a conflict, right? So my very, very, very first interview, the senior partner who's passed away, asked me to observe for a while, and it was they had administered some tests, and I didn't get much out of the tests, even though I had lots of courses and how to interpret them and so forth. And he kind of bounced around the, in the resume, and today I'd say he was asking for competencies. And after an hour and a half, he said, all right, I think I'm done. Brad, do you have any additional questions for this candidate? He's a candidate for a second-tier marketing person at Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company. And I, I said, I do. But it's close to break time. Why don't uh, and I asked the candidate, could you come back after lunch? And he said, yeah, he was very, very cooperative. And the senior partner said he didn't want to he didn't want to watch this new kid on the block trying to do an interview. But I just had admitted to this guy, I said, this is your first interview for me. And uh, if you don't mind, I didn't get much out of the senior partner's uh, interview. I'd like to do more of what clinical psychologists would do, I guess. And that's, I want to go through uh, your life, talk about really some influences early on, your education, and then probably just a bunch of questions about your career. And that was my first top grading interview. And it pretty much corresponds to what millions have done since then. Essentially, I went through his whole career, job after job, and asked him what he did, how he did, how he liked it, what he thought of his boss, thought that would be pretty important since I'm interviewing candidates for managers who, who would be the managers of these candidates. What do you think of your various bosses? And then what would they say about you? What do they think are your strengths and weak points and so forth? Anyway, it was not the complete top grading interview today. We can talk about that a little bit later. But I did my report, spent a lot of time on it. The senior partner said, yeah, send this to the client. I did. And then he called me in after a day and said, uh, here's my report. And frankly, it was two pages and every sentence started with, he is sometimes smart, sometimes dumb, sometimes good with people, sometimes bad. And what he said, honest to God, 
This is my first interview, <laughs> first report. And he said the client liked it a lot. He said, my report, they said, is crap compared to yours, Brad. I said, okay. All right. <laughs> so I tried to persuade others to do this. Pretty soon, a whole lot of clients wanted to work with me. And I was getting pressure to do this one-hour interview and administer the test. Because that way, we could do four interviews a day and do a little report. And we'd all make money. But if we all do what you're doing, Brad, and we charge the clients what, you're, what we're charging them, we're all going to be out of business. And I had this crazy ideas and maybe we should think in terms of what is best for the clients. Okay. So I was pressuring the company to change the approach and uh, I was the new kid there. And uh, so I went to clients and, and asked them, how good are we at what we do? What do you mean? What percent of the people we interview, okay. And recommend that you hire turn out to be high performers, not just okay, but high performers. Well, about 25%. And frankly, that's what we found all over the world for all these years, right? about 25%. But when we use, use you, then it's about a third, okay? So as the management psychologist interview candidate for high-level high jobs, a third turned out to be the successes we all wanted. And I'm thinking, because I <laughs> went home and told my wife, I don't know, this is a profession I want to be in. If I were a medical doctor... And two-thirds of my patients were going out in body bags. I'm not too excited about this. Fortunately, Dominic, in the next couple of months, I interviewed someone who had a terrific record of hiring people. And ordinarily, you'd think, well, he's probably going to the next job and taking his A players from the former job. Okay. No, this was a little different. He said, and this is one of the secrets of top grading, which I'm happy to not have secret. That's why I'm doing this podcast. He said, just tell candidates that a final step in hiring is for them, not you, the hiring manager, the HR and so forth, but for them to arrange reference calls at a minimum of all the people they reported to in the past decade. All right. And they wouldn't have to connect with their current boss until an offer is on the table. But I said, yeah, that really works. I said, yes. And what we found out is true. The low performers drop out. They're never going to get their bosses to talk. You wouldn't want to talk with them anyway. Good. You save a lot of time and money that way. Right? You know? So up until that point, Dominic, the, all the interviews I did, except for the first one, the first guy was obviously an A player. He was very open. He admitted mistakes and, and he had a sense of humor. It was, it was a fun interview. Most of them after that was a game. And I kind of complained about this to my fellow professionals. I mean, we're, what we have to do is kind of trick people into Telling the truth? I don't like that. Anyway, I started telling candidates I was interviewing that this is what I was recommending to the client. And I recommended to the clients. And we were, we were experimenting. We didn't know if this would really work or why it wouldn't work and so forth. It worked perfectly. And so millions of candidates have now gone through this. That truth serum, we call the, the top grading you know, truth serum now, is, is healthy. It's like what exists throughout, you know, certainly Western Europe and the United States. We can get ratings on anything, you know, on cars. We can find out how, how they were maintained. Uh, movies go to Rotten Tomatoes and find out how people rate movies. We go to Angie's List or, or Home Advisor and find out the ratings of various people doing different things. But today, millions of people are going to be hired all over the world. And everybody's kind of frustrated. You can't verify what candidates told you. Because companies have policies prohibiting their managers from taking reference calls. 
The great bot is with a capital B, capital U, capital T, capital T. No, just one T. <laughs> it, it works. A players, sharp people get their, their former bosses, even their current boss at the right time to talk. All right. And so there's no telephone tag. So what I've just told you, this can be a very short podcast. I was just giving you two <laughs> big, big secrets of top grading. It's worked all these years. And when my employer didn't embrace these things, I just went off on my own. You know, never made a sales calls for 35 years. So tell candidates a final step in hiring. They're going to have to arrange reference calls with maybe their managers, if you want, maybe peers or direct reports. They do it. They love it because they know all these people are going to sing their praises. Okay. And as for verification, okay, that's the best verification imaginable. The person had eight bosses and you're connected to, and you can talk with eight bosses, the person you're considering hiring. Wow, that's fantastic, right? So that's two out of maybe three or four of the, the secrets of top grading. That's how I got started. I got pressured to, to adopt what I thought were really crummy approaches to uh, selecting people. I refused, started my own business. And you got really lucky, didn't you? I mean, that serendipity of interviewing that candidate who said, oh, look, here's the secret sauce. Yeah, that was, hadn't occurred to me. Apparently it hadn't occurred to anyone because it was assumed any company, maybe even with 100 employees, has learned out of fear of a lawsuit, managers don't take reference calls. Don't take, don't even answer them. Or if you're large enough to have a human resources person, just tell a person, contact human resources, and then the laws are very clear what they can disclose, which will not be the performance of the person. Right? So it was a surprise, a little bit of a surprise, that uh, really, that A-player candidates can get people to talk, yes. But the thing is that, in a way, you don't even need to talk to them all. Because if somebody turns up and says, hey, Brad, I've got these eight bosses in the last 10 years and they're all available to talk to you, let's put them in the diary. <laughs> you sort of don't need to talk to them at that point. I mean, good if you do, but... Okay, but now, now here is some, an added advantage we, we found out. Suppose you and I were flying from uh, you know, London to LaGuardia or something like that, and uh, it's a long enough flight that we get chatting, and I'm considering hiring someone, and, and so I'm saying I'm asking this candidate to arrange reference calls with this guy named Dominic. Wait, wait a minute. Your name isn't, okay, you're the boss of the guy I'm considering hiring from five to seven years ago. Wow, how about if I buy you a drink and we talk? And then I'm going to learn more about the subtleties, how best to interact with a person. Everybody has weaker points, not just strengths. And to know them in advance is probably useful because sometimes you can change things so those weaker points are not, are not demonstrated. To really hear what you think the potentials are, the kinds of jobs a person would really work best in or not been, types of organization cultures they work best in. Okay, these get to be half hour, 45 minute discussions. Even though it's almost certain you're going to hire the person, you're learning how to best work with that person. So this is the best uh, kind of onboarding advice conceivable. Well, I was I was going to say, you've, you've got a great candidate, but the onboarding stuff is absolutely critical. There's some great research that came out of Wipro in India that says the first hour and the first day, absolutely critical. Yeah, they really, really. And one of the things we've recommended in the books and in, in workshops is because you've accumulated valuable information using the top grading methods, which include uh, 
job scorecard, nail down what the measurable accountabilities are. Don't go out recruiting people and all you have is a vague job description. That sounds bureaucratic, but it's really important to nail that. And then presumably there is a phone screen. And, and then the top grading interview is that chronological interview, going through all the jobs. When you have all that information and reference calls with five, six, seven people, you have a pot of really valuable information that can be used for onboarding. And everybody these days, millennials particularly, want a development plan. They might not even join your company if they hear that you don't start development plans right off the bat. As soon as someone was hired, they want to come back to the management psychologist, get feedback and start creating a development plan. After we learn we can train managers to do that, that managers can do a lot of this stuff themselves, right? That was a recommendation. Almost right away, meet with your new hire and say, uh, let's get an onboarding program developed, but an individual development plan. So you do your data dump, okay, and the interviewee takes the notes. Now your new hire, they create the individual development plan. Yeah, it's good to give them a sample beforehand, but you have such tremendous insight. You review their education, every single job. You talk to their bosses. Wow, now is a great time to do it. You interview the person. Part of the top grading interview, of course, is to, to ask, what are your plans and goals for the future? You know what the person probably wants to do as you go through the top grading interview because you ask, why did you leave that job? Oh, when you went to ACME, why did you join ACME? It all comes out about what their career goals are, what kind of organization culture they want. Uh, you learn about what sort of onboarding happened or didn't happen, what they like and dislike about bosses. This is the time to uh, create that. So the, you know, a lot of big, big, big companies have you know, get your ticket punch, go through these 10 steps and onboarding. And some of it's really boring. It's not onboarding, it's boring and going through the motions. And that's because most people who will be hired today, the hiring managers, and if they have human resources, they don't really know the individual very well at all. And frankly, three quarters are going to be mishires. Not too cool. But with top grading, you have this pot of rich knowledge. You have a very eager A player who almost certainly is ambitious. They do the work. They take the notes and they create together with you the onboarding program, but also the individual development plan. You approve it. And my recommendation in all the books is meet with them quarterly at least to go through and make sure they're, they're working toward that. Millennials are almost demanding development. I want development. I want feedback. I want coaching. I want mentoring. Will you look out for me, Dominic, you know, every day? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about your, it's about 90 minutes, isn't it? The, top grading sort of interview to go through their history or is it as long as it takes for people with 20 years experience just filling out the top grading career history form which is like an application form but it has that additional information that is so important like how bosses rate their performance and all that kind of thing no no here's what you say uh, let's start at the bottom a cashier for kroger it might be a 20 or 25 minute interview it's a top grading interview that's condensed for the job, right? <laughs> uh, say for a professional who's not going to have management responsibilities, that's probably an hour and a half. They don't have all the management things to talk about, so it's a shorter interview. But you go through the top grade, you go through every job, what they did, okay? First of all, why they took the job, then what they did, the responsibilities and accountabilities, and their performance, meaning their successes and their accomplishments, 
flip over for every job and ask, we all make mistakes, what were mistakes or failures in that job? That's very useful, right? And uh, on to the next job. So you're going through all that, for a mid-manager, drum roll, probably a four-hour interview for a mid-manager. What I've done all my career is five-hour interviews. And those move along at a pretty rapid pace. And the standard questions always have follow-up and probes and things. And that's moving along at a pretty fast pace. People say, well, that's a really long interview. Hey, we ran a top grading workshop two weeks ago. And we start out the workshop saying, how many here? Raise your hand. Think that you could conduct a selection interview. And that's what you're here to learn. And gain, gain such deep insights into 50 five zero competencies for a manager, 50, that you wouldn't miss anything. And that six months or a year later, you go back and say, I interviewed the person, I predicted a rating of whatever it was on this 10 point scale, and I was right on, all right? By right on, meaning don't be more than 10% off on any of those 50 competencies. You, 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 no hands go up, except Usually half the people at our workshops are in top grading companies. They've heard about it. They've read about it. Now they're going to get their training. They know it can be done. So they raise their hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're putting this on. But they really don't think they can do that because everyone says, we have six competencies, key competencies in my company. I'm interviewing someone. I have trouble even keeping those in mind. And that's because you're using a lousy interviewing approach with top grading. You do it. So on day two, the end of day two, Wow, everybody's convinced. Now, how many feel you can do this? Well, they just did it. Not only did they do it, they analyzed the results and they provided feedback to the individual who the person playing the role of the interviewee said, I learned something just going through this top grading interview. So it's not time consuming when you, when you prevent almost all mishires. The long interview isn't long at all because We've asked people for decades the costs of mishires, and anyone listening to this podcast can go to a top grading cost of mishire form, and you know a lot of people are offering it for free out there. We don't charge for it, but it's it's the most used cost of mishire form. And at the bottom it says hours wasted, hundreds, hundreds of hours, even for an individual professional, an individual contributor. It's a couple of hundred hours. You get into management, and the wasted time for not just use the the manager, but others, it gets into three or 400 hours. So this is the best time saver ever, ever, ever. <laughs> One of the things occurs to me there that I think we're all optimistic. So even though we look back and history tells us we only hire correctly one in four times, the person sitting in front of us, we think that they are part of that 25% success. Look, that's why the casinos make money. And so you're saying, I have to sit down and interview somebody for five hours. I think most companies work on the basis that they have this sort of pool of four or five people and they pick the least worst. Yeah, right, right. The way, the way you're doing it, we'd see five people, it would take 25 hours and we'd say no to everybody. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, uh, well, <laughs> senior level is different from, from down in the organization and we do have what we think is the best pre-screening tool. It takes 
Candidates know time takes none of your time, but it flushes out who are the best. We can talk ah, about. okay. So there's a bit there before the manager meets anybody. Yes. And at the levels that we're working at, there are search firms have come up with people. And the search firms have done all the recruitment. They've presented usually three candidates to the client. And the client usually, so they have a choice, says, yeah, interview all three candidates for chief financial officer, chief marketing officer, sales, or, or, or whatever. But uh, it sounded like a huge waste of time. So these are all pre-selected people by the time top grading professionals get to them. And we tend to do this at high levels in, in companies when, although we've trained managers and we've trained, God, it must be close to 100,000 managers and how to do this stuff yourselves. So you don't need to use this once, you, once you've learned this stuff, go to our workshops and, you know, and that sort of thing. At the top, you know, CEOs don't want to make mistakes. They don't do that much interviewing. None of the people we've trained do all that except for human resources professionals, do all that, that many interviews. You say, okay, I've been trained. I understand the truth serum. I understand asking candidates to, to uh, arrange calls. The top grading interview itself is complicated. That's difficult, difficult work. How many have you done, Brad? 6,500 last time I counted. You know, so you know, <laughs> wrote the book. They, they want the insurance against a multi, multi-million dollar <laughs> you know, mishire. I'm amazed because people, everybody says, we like the problem is people, having great people. As you say, most of the work done in an organization is, is a small proportion of A players. You could have a goal, which is to get to 100% and maybe 10% of your team are having a bad day at any one point. So you'd be sort of 90% of people are A player on any one day. And yet your book hasn't become the Bible for the HR profession. No, and uh, in all these years, my company and my son's company, there's not been an example of human resources initiating top grading. And you think, wow, why? Well, they do it. By the way, we get all our business from CEOs, small company CEOs, you know, midsize and, and large, not from human resources. Why? Well, because human resources has not delivered quality of hire. A couple decades ago, McKinsey and Company started the war for talent. They said all CEOs consider bad hires their worst nightmare. The 2019 Conference Board report says globally the biggest concern of CEOs is bad hires. So as a result of the McKinsey study, human resources given all sorts of money to go to improve, to improve, to improve, and they didn't do it. And McKinsey had a, a recent kind of recap saying they still have not done it. All right. There's a SHRM, S-H-R-M, Society of Human Resources Management, had a scathing article about human resources just a couple months ago. Never seen anything like that. And I get all their publications said, we are all doing a horrible, lousy job. You know, we don't even measure it, but we certainly have not delivered it. I sent an interesting email to, uh, to the author of that. He has not emailed me back. So here's why I think human resources has not delivered it, except in top grading circumstances. Once human resources in a company that adopts top grading, they become the heroes. They become the most respected, the highest paid, the most sought after. They don't initiate it on their own. Why? Because they go to their website and say it's all topgrading.com. It's all about A player. A. I'm not treated like an A player. Human resources is generally the lowest paid, least respected. Financial Times did a study saying uh, human resources even is not even invited into discussions of what companies to acquire. After they're acquired, then they have to get the benefits and everything right. So they're third class, not even second class, third class citizens. 
the great promise for human resources is you experiment, you, you get it going, you can deliver quality of hire. That's going to be the most important change in your organization. Whether it's a tiny company with 10 people or, or a mega, mega, mega company. So we don't do SHRM conferences every occasion to do a, a big webinar or something for a thousand or something like that. But that's unfortunate because there are a lot of sharp uh, human resources people, but uh, that's their status these days. So we get lots of people, probably 10 HR people download eGuide. There's a free eGuide. By the way, that's brand new, just hot off the presses. Uh, free eGuide, it's almost 50 pages. Just go to topgrading.com, download it, and you can see a lot more. They're very interested in it, but if they go to, say, they're down in the, an HR organization, go to the chief human resources officer, that's scary to CHROs. I'll tell you one more thing. Yeah. I might not have mentioned this previously, but about seven years ago, I was invited to spend one day with just the top 100 human resources executives in the world. It was only for a chief human resources officers. They met every six months. They'd been at Beijing the six months prior. This, this happened to be Ingersoll ran and uh, asked them, okay, there were 12 top graders there. The total in attendance was 60. Okay. So I asked what percent of the people you've hired in recent years, and everybody listening to this podcast should ask themselves the same question. What percent of the people you've interviewed and hired in recent years turned out to be the high performers a players, if you will. You didn't just hope for, but as you suggested, Dominic, you expected, okay? And you figured you'd paid for. If the only other category is a mishire, if after you hire the person, you decided, oh, they weren't worth the money we paid them, that's a mishire, right? Right. So I'd ask everybody in this podcast, you know, what do you think the success rate is for the top HR people in the world? Did I ask this question? We had a little chat last week. What do you think the results were? What is the success rate for the most elite human resources professionals? Take a guess. I think it's only 25%. Pretty good guess. It's 20%, actually. Oh, 20% for hiring, only 25% for promotions. But the guy running the session, he commented to me, he said, all these top creators are, are sitting together around two round tables, <laughs> right? So he went over to them. He's okay, give me your numbers. He went to the whiteboard, boom, 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 boom. Ah, 80% high performers hired. So the, the CEO of Ingersoll ran, right? He was kind of the straight man. He said, so over here, for these 12 people, we have 80% success in hiring. Over here, and you can guess who's over there, we have 80% failures. As far as I'm concerned, he said, CEOs want high performance, not just okay people, high performers. Those are 80% failures as far as I was concerned. <laughs> but what happens in companies is it's not just success or mishire. If A players are what you're after and B players are okay, and then C players are obviously bad enough, you get rid of them. I read an article in EO's online website blog recently where this guy was saying, you know, you can't have 100% A players. You have to have plodders because they make up the bulk of your business. And it's like, you are deluded. You are just going to slow yourself down. And every time you hire somebody who's okay, you're stopping that seat being occupied by somebody who's two, three, four, five times better. Yeah. And sometimes they're thinking the way some companies have it, an A player 
by definition is promotable one or two or more levels. No, no, no. Our definition is A player is someone who's in the top 10% of talent available for whatever you're going to pay them. And if that happens to be $15 an hour, for $15 an hour, if you have 100 candidates, how about hiring someone who's in the top 10? How about this? So I've been very slow over the years, Dominic, to bring top grading down to the next level, the next level. The next. It was all C-suite. And then people said, well, of course, it's important for the next level. And then down to first level supervisors? Okay. Just recent college graduates? Yes. Case in point, the most popular high-end store for grocery stores in Chicago for a couple of years was Mariano's. They were a division of another company. Kroger bought them. I've known Bob Mariano for at least 35 years. Running grocery companies. You've got A-player cashiers and A-player uh, stockers. What's an A-player stocker? Well, that's, that's not 40 or 50 competencies. They're responsible. They show up. They're customer-oriented. You know, <laughs> But he did it. And he opened a store just a few minutes from where I am right now. And I and my president, Chris Mersall, went over and saw him all day Saturday meeting with cashiers and stockers, 500 of them, cashiers and stockers. Not every CEO would do it. But he said to them, you've been top graded. We only hired one out of 10 applicants. Okay. And it was fun to watch them. They were in groups of 20 or 25. They were leaning forward. They were taking notes. Bob said, I started out as a stocker. All right. So did the, uh, the governor of Illinois. Wait a minute. This was a few years ago. That governor, I think, went, is in jail now. So maybe we should scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> but the press was fantastic. You know, every grocery company has mystery shoppers who come around and they rate you. Mariano's went off the charts. Top ratings by people who were there to rate them. And you could see it. You could feel the energy. And these are sharp people. And they're all top. It's all about the customer all about the customer and you have any question like you know where's the wine that stalker will walk you over to the wine department and probably know there's a, a christmas special going on but kroger sorry to poke at kroger after promising this is in cranes magazine actually just three days ago what kroger did to uh, mariano's they promised they'd leave them alone because here's a high-end model and kroger doesn't have one their biggest grocery company in the nation they don't have one and they didn't leave them alone and Bob Mariano left and they said, okay, his president left and the head of merchandising left and oh, top grading went out the door. So it's ordinary. So at every job, even if you're, you're paying minimum wage, why not get the best? Well, what's the best? Well, you define it. That's what we're talking about. Well, it's funny. I, you remind me, I, my first job out of university was working for Marks and Spencers, a UK retailer, and I ran the food section for them. So I had to get the food section ready for the store opening. And in many cases, the people who did that early morning shelf fill for me were Jehovah's Witnesses because we had this perfect synergy, A players who only wanted a job until nine o'clock in the morning because then they had, they had other things to do in the, during the day. <laughs> yeah, they're probably working on, on farms and things. But well, good for you. Got a little insight into that. I've sort of said it, but I should say just a little bit more about we train people. Why do we train people who don't do interviewing for a living? Why not just have professionals who do this all the time? And we continue to do that. My son's company does that. We trained 30,000 managers in one company. Huh? And after that case study was released, then everybody was really interested in top grading for a while. Okay. 
But here's the case. Jack Welch became CEO of General Electric back in those days in 1981, I guess. And he was so frustrated with only about 25% of people hired or frankly promoted. He wanted the best interviewing approach, the best hiring approach. One of his guys, one of the HR people, they sent out 100 people in the HR to find the best approach and they hadn't found it. But a guy in London named Don Lester found my first book. You know, He said, how'd you like to meet uh, Jack? I met Jack and he rolled out top grading. And there's a message for every CEO there. You don't delegate talent to human resources or others in the C-suite. You set the standards for it. He set the standard as A player. So train trainers who train trainers who train zillions of managers and GE went from 25 to 50%. Wow, way above any other Fortune 500 company. Oh, an interesting thing happened. The market cap was going up. It had been at 14 or 15, now it's 20, 25. It's going up pretty rapidly. And I was monitoring everything that was going on. So I tried some things. And Jack and I met uh, quite frequently. And I said, I've been trying out two interviewers. And I promise you, if you embrace the tandem top grading interview, tandem top grading interview, two interviewers, you're going to do a lot better than 50%. All right. They went to 90%. Okay. Go to topgradingcasestudies.com. It said they went from 25 to over 80%. But actually, if I had Bill Kennedy here in the room with me, and he was the head of HR under Jack Welch and then under Emil till he retired a couple of years later, he, he would say it was, it was 90%. We hit 90%. But at the time, GE was opening up a lot of plants in China, and that was getting some negative press. So it's going to be embarrassing. And I'm going to be, you know, people are going to say, how can you have 90% A players near your opening plants in China? A players should be able to figure out how to open plants in the United States, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so here are two hockey sticks. Hockey sticks, G went to $570 billion, the most viable company in the world. And A players hired and promoted went from 25 to 90%. Well, when that case study was released, everybody wanted to uh, sample uh, you know, the Kool-Aid. But I changed my business model. We love to train people. We love to do top grading workshops in you know, the public and the you know enough people than in a company because sharp people, okay, who are trained and they pair off, they have a tandem partner. Two heads are so much better than one. It gives them a mental break so they can connect some dots. Uh, they can pass the baton back and forth. It's a very robust process. And wow, you get that kind of success. Well, all right. Truth be told, GE had a whole lot of very sharp managers trained. So I don't think this would work so well with C players. You could train them all they want, no. but they're still going to hire <laughs> C players. <laughs> Brad, you said that you replaced the job description with a scorecard. Could you talk briefly about that? Because that seems to me, I mean, that starts the whole process. You take this boring as shit job spec and you create a dull job ad and then nobody interesting applies. Yeah. <laughs> and and they apply and they're interested in the job description and it's a very vague job description. They don't have a clue what they're getting into. Yeah. yeah. All these things are definitely ad addressed with, uh, with, with top grading. So job scorecard is what you do after the person's hired anyway. They're going to have annual performance appraisals. So you have to have measurable accountabilities. Okay, so the numbers to be generated for productivity improvement or sales or whatever it might be. 
when you're talking about hiring, however, we also want to have something about the organization culture. So that should be clearly articulated because if the person's very good in some technical ways or maybe as a leader, but obviously in terms of meshing with the organization culture, that might not work at all. So that's a step. Okay, we have lots of examples when people buy our top grading software, they you know, get a library of job scorecards. And sometimes they want a professional to do one or two. If they're a lot of the same job, like call center or store manager or, or something, you know, it's just a lot easier if, if we do it. And we've done so many that it's uh, actually uh, fairly easy to do. But it could be bureaucratic to begin with. They don't do it beforehand because they're so busy. They wait until the person's hired, you know, and, and then they go around and talk to people about what the accountabilities will be and all that sort of thing. And so they finally hammer it out. Let's do it up front. Where this came from, Dominic, is uh, is interviewing people when they exit the company, if they, they've been fired and, okay, you expect to hear a bunch of excuses, you know, they didn't, but we've heard enough about, they didn't tell me what the job was like. I can't travel because of some family issues and I have a, a regional sales, but I've been effective as a regional sales executive without traveling. So I thought I could do it there, but they never articulated that. And I'm just talking off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not get this out to begin with? So everybody involved in the team who's going to be working with this person is on the same page, but also then the, uh, the candidates know what they're getting into with one little caveat. Okay, you might have to keep something secret if there's going to be a new division and you don't want the word to get out or something like that. But that's that's easy. So yeah, let's start with what is a job? What is it going to take the job? What is it going to take for the person to uh, fit the culture and or be able to change the culture in some constructive ways? Okay. That's where you start. Good place to start. <laughs> yeah. What will success look like? And being clear, I mean, it's just because then the candidates will self-select. Does this sound like a job that I'm going to enjoy doing and I can succeed at or not? And they might be, they may play a player somewhere else. Doing something else. Right, exactly. Brad, just changing tax. I've got a couple of questions I ask everybody. If I was to take you, knowing what you know now, and you went back in time, where would you go and what knowledge might you take with you? Well, well, I've said a couple of things, but but it's all they're all connected. With the name Smart, I, I would have been smart enough to ask a few professors. Uh, with all these hundreds of thousands of studies on talent and hiring, uh, this is how, how many are on high performers? And realize there's nothing there, so maybe that was kind of a waste of time. I certainly would have. After this company gave got me summer jobs, I had never asked them till after I was hired. How? good are you, you know, at doing this? If it's that bad, I might have taken a totally different tack in my career. Something else, <laughs> okay, and now this is true confessions. After uh, the GE case study, this is rocking the world. I mean, there's never been anything like that. There's so much publicity. Uh, the phone was ringing off the hook, and my son was just getting out of graduate school, and he uh, needed projects, so I thought, I'll spend more time on the island of Bonaire, uh, scuba diving and windsurfing. Jeff, you can, you can get a bunch of experience, which you're going to need for your, own, you know, for your own business, right? And that was the time when I should have built the company. I mean, getting 25 to 90% from $14 billion to $572 billion. Wow. I mean, 
marketing people have been salivating, have been so easy. And it sounds as though I'm lazy. Uh, what I did was write the next book. So I wasn't being lazy, but that I would do over. And also the final thing I think I've already mentioned. When I think it was seven years ago, I should check on that. When the top HR people in the world told me, your software it sucks, <laughs> right? I should have skipped a winter on the island of Bonaire and gone to Silicon Valley, learned software business and got on it. So we've done it. We have great software now, but it's only a year and a half old. We can connect with all the applicant tracking systems. Well, we have an applicant tracking system and we have an excellent chief operating officer who was chief operating officer in a software development company in the human resources area. And that's what we need. Um, in the U.S., we have uh, Shark Tank is the uh, is a TV show, and some billionaires are listening to pitches by people. And about a month ago, Mark Cuban knocked someone off his his high horse, and that he came in with an iPhone and something. If you hit something, a lot of wonderful things might save your life. You know, if you're in a parking garage or something like that. Mark Cuban said, "Are you a techie?" He said, "Nope." Do you have a really good techie uh, employee? No, we outsource things. Outsourcing isn't good enough. The technology world is changing at warp speed, and you've got to have someone on board every day adjusting. So I was a very, very slow learner in that. That I would do uh, over again. <laughs> um, there's a question that occurs to me, which I should have asked earlier, which is what do you think about psychometric testing? A very good question, and I think it's great and terrible. It's great, in my opinion, and I have 11 courses in, in experimental design, and I've, uh, I've validated, properly validated a lot of tests okay, throughout my career. Abilities tests, interest tests, even some culture fit tests are, are fine because when you administer them candidates for hire, okay, and you want something, particularly a big company who have zillions of resumes, you need something to cut the pool of candidates down before you conduct a phone interview. A phone interview is going to take you know, a half hour, 45 minutes anyway. We need something to cut it down. So sure, uh, if there are knockout questions, it might be on the location. And this worked with the Home Depot, you know, <laughs> put in the uh, career history form. When do you plan to leave? Um, it was either it was Florida at the time and when people would write down in six weeks. Well, that's a good question to ask. But the uh, abilities test can be done up, up front. Okay, you want to know if someone knows enough. You know, I'll try not to get on my hours. The personality testing industry is, I've read $4 billion, and I've properly evaluated a lot of, I won't mention their name, I don't know if they're going to sue me, but, but I've validated a lot of the personality tests, and every single one of them, if they're validated properly, which I did, hurt the company. They're not just neutral. They're not positive. They don't help them hire more A players, okay? They're not just neutral. They eliminate as many A players as C players. And the reason is when they're a candidate for selection, they put their best foot forward. They BS a little bit, right? Okay. And the validity washes out. What's happened is clients have shown me the validation manuals for these companies. And they look good because... The American Psychological Association has a bunch of different versions of validity and construct validity might be there because it's trying to measure what you're trying to measure, duh. But what you see is they're, they're valid, but not with predictive validity. 
They don't have anything about predictive validity. And we call them, okay, and say, what about predictive validity? Oh, we haven't done those studies. Or maybe they have done and they find out they're not just neutral, they're harmful. So I'm really dead set against personality tests being used. But if you're in a sort of a mid-sized company, you know, three or 400, 500 people, here's what you can do. You don't need to hire me to do it. You just administer the test to candidates when they know they're a candidate for hire. They have not been hired. Okay? Don't even score the test. Pull them out six months later. Pull those tests out six months later. Rate your employees. Produce a scattered diagram on a whiteboard showing on one dimension the rating of the person. Poor player, fair, good, very good, excellent. And then uh, what their test scores are. Wow. You'll just see, you just look at that and see, wow, if we had a cutoff score of, let's say, 80, wow, we would have eliminated as many A players as C players. Let's try it at 50. Same thing. Let's try it at 20 for a cutoff score. Same thing. So don't do that. What we've devised sounds kind of simple, but it incorporates what I've already told you, okay? And uh, with our software, candidates fill out a career history form, all right? And it's the usual things in an application form, plus boss ratings and, and, uh, and some other things, okay? But for candidates to do that might take an hour or an hour and a half. So for 40 years, it was done after the phone screen. So companies are you know, looking at these zillions of resumes and knowing a lot of them are BSing. I had three people in my company who work for Career Builder in the background check area, and they confirm what all of your podcasters have probably seen. About 40% to 50% of resumes contain significant lies. So it's a big con game out there in hiring where candidates know they can get away with fudging the truth because the reference checks were almost worthless. So what this does, just to get to the punchline here, anyone listening could go to preselectionsnapshot.com and for free, you can try what I'm about to explain to you. Take about a half hour to get set up for it, then you'll just send candidates an email saying thank you for your interest in Acme Corporation. We ask you to provide a little information about your most recent two jobs, your current job, if you have one, and the one just before that. They see the instructions, okay? This will only take them seven minutes, by the way. Okay, so they'll do that. They're not going to take an hour and a half, but they will take seven minutes before talking with you, right? What you see in that, that what they see is the instructions that have the truth serum in there, all right? It's right there in black and white. You'll read it. Final seven hires for candidates, arrange reference calls for their bosses, all right? So, wow, this simple little form you can try solves two of those big problems in hiring. One is BS, and I'm an expert on BS because those are my initials, <laughs> you might have noticed, right? <laughs> but it's been a frustration for every hiring manager, and it's throughout the world. It's just awful. awful. This solves it. That's and then assuming fantastic. you're going to do the reference calls where the candidate arranges them, there'll be no phone tag, that'll be easy. I have a video there saying that's not all there is to top grading. You know, we've got the interview, we've got uh, job scorecards and so forth. But if you want to then buy 10 packs of the pre-selection snapshots, you can do that. But after you bought two or three and you're thinking, this is good. This is saving me a lot of time and money. 
might want to talk to us because it'll be cheaper for you to buy a license. We've kept the license prices way down, and that has all the good stuff for Top Grain in there. But try it out. If nothing else, tell the candidates on your website that you're going to do this. Not many people want to put that on their website, however. So try the pre-screen slash app. It's a thousand times better than any, uh, any psychological test. Brad, that's brilliant. So one other question. Have you read any good books recently that you would recommend people pick up and read? Other than, of course, top grading version three. Oh, darn. I have a, I was gonna, it's right on my, you see it back there? They have a few of those. My son, I should say, uh, is a very successful top grading company, private equity firms, been cited by Forbes, soon to be cited by some other organizations, but his company really at the top of executive assessment and coaching. Okay. We share some clients because he doesn't do all the training. We train the managers to do it. Okay. Anticipating this question. You can see it, Dominic, because we're on video, but it's called The CEO Next Door. And for anyone who's ambitious, wants to be an A player, you don't necessarily want to have to want to be a CEO, but you want to be very successful, okay? This mines the data from 2,600 of their top CEOs, frankly. Their company has interviewed, they've been hired, they've done an outstanding job. Wow. Those are clear A players. The private equity firms know they deliver the internal rate of return. That's fantastic. And it's stories. It's not just, you want to be an A player? Well, like a commencement address. Find your passion. Work very hard and work even harder. No, no, no. This has real stories about how people without, without an Ivy League education, they found, by the way, that only 7% of CEOs and billion-dollar companies went to an Ivy League school. Some didn't go to college at all. I mean, this is a cool read, you know, how, how people have... Uh, have been very, very successful. It's called The CEO Next Door. Elena Botello, one of his partners, uh, wrote it with Kim Powell. I think I could have written that. I'm going to do my own version of that with a little different slant because I've, I've got 6,500 reports I can go through and mine <laughs> the data. So I'm going to have a little uh, different focus, but do the same thing. That, that would be uh, the read. I think everybody will like that. Brad, that's fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for your time today. Oh, it's been talking with you, Dominic. All right. Hope this is helpful to uh, helpful to your podcast listeners. And if they don't do anything other than the truth serum, tell candidates to arrange interviews as a final step and then do those interviews, they will hire better. All right. Absolutely. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Dominic. Brilliant. All this information and more can be found at dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find show notes, additional reading and links related to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of the Melting Pot newsletter. The simplest thing to do is to sign up to my subjectively, not crap, once a week newsletter, where I'll update you on what I've been up to, the most interesting articles I've read, and all things relating to scaling up, high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. Social, you can find me on Twitter at Dom Monkhouse and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me and share your questions and comments. Thanks for listening. <laughs>